0: Today on the Matt Wall Show, the lockdowns are having a catastrophic impact on the economy, mental health, education. In one country, more people have died by suicide than by COVID. Situation across much of the rest of the world is also dire. Yet those who push the lockdowns refuse to grapple with or even acknowledge these devastating effects. So we're going to talk about that today. Also, five headlines including Joe Biden's injury and another anonymous racist note story that the media is reporting as fact. Even though anonymous racist notes are almost always hoaxes, and our daily cancellation, I'm afraid that it is my duty to rain on the parade of everyone celebrating a woman's historic kick during a college football game on Saturday. All of that and more coming up on The Matt Wall Show. before we get started here, I wanna tell you about um, our very good sponsors, LifeLock, which is an important thing to to, to think about and uh, hear about LifeLock, especially as we get into the holidays and people are, you know, you're not just online a lot, I mean, we're always online anyway, but you're online, you know, you're you're using your credit card, you're putting your information out there, buying things. The holidays, of course, can feel like a never-ending to-do list. Shopping online or browsing can expose your personal info uh to a lot of bad guys out there that's why you need to get lifelock identity theft protection because not all websites are on the nice list and you'll want to know if your personal information has been potentially exposed or found on the dark web the holiday this holiday season you could miss certain identity threats by just monitoring your credit like for example if your information is on the dark web do you know how to find that on the dark i don't even i don't know where is the dark web how do you find it i have no idea um, that's why you need LifeLock. Get LifeLock, the leader in identity theft protection. LifeLock helps detect a wide range of identity threats, like your social security number being for sale on the dark web. And if they detect your information, uh, being used in their network, they're going to send you an alert. If you do become uh, a-, a victim of identity threat, uh, identity theft, they're not just going to leave you high and dry. They're going to help you restore your identity easier than you could certainly do on your own. And this is all about number one, protecting yourself. And number two, making your life easier. You don't want to Leave yourself exposed. You get your identity stolen. You don't know where to go, who to talk to. Just get LifeLock. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses, but LifeLock can help you feel protected this holiday season. The best sale of the year is happening right now. Save up to 30% off your first year at LifeLock.com Walsh. That's 30% off at LifeLock.com Walsh. Sale ends November 30th, so take advantage now. Surprisingly enough, you know, CNN ran an important article few days ago, actually. One that focuses on an aspect of the COVID story that's usually ignored. The headline is this. In Japan, more people died from suicide last month than from COVID in all of 2020. And women, it says, have been most impacted. It reads in part, quote, In Japan, government statistics show suicide claim more lives in October than COVID-19 has over the entire year to date. The monthly number of Japanese suicides rose to 2,153 in October, According to Japan's National Policy Agency, as of Friday, Japan's total COVID-19 toll was 2,087. Japan is one of the few major economies to disclose timely suicide data. The most recent national data for the U.S., for example, is from 2018. The Japanese data could give uh, give other countries insights into the impact of pandemic measures on mental health and which groups are the most vulnerable. Quote, we didn't even have a lockdown and the impact of COVID is very minimal compared to other countries, but still we see this big increase in the number of suicides. That is Machika uh, Ueda, an associate professor at Waseda University in Tokyo, expert on suicides, continuing, that suggests other countries might seem a, see a similar or even bigger increase in the number of suicides in the future. Now, as the article notes, we don't have up-to-date suicide statistics for our own country, but there are indications that the situation will prove to be just as dire here Um, if not more so. We've seen glimpses, at least, such as the report out of Los Angeles back in April that calls to the suicide hotline had gone up by 8,000%. 8,000%. Meanwhile, Men's Health Magazine reported earlier this month, um, uh, quote, University of Glasgow researchers have found that rates of suicidal thoughts among young adults rose sharply during the first coronavirus lockdown. Their study, published in the British Journal of Psychiatry, examined the effect COVID-19 had on different groups at the outset of the original coronavirus lockdown. By surveying 3,077 adults three times from, 31, from March 31st to May 11th, they found that the proportion of respondents reporting that on at least one day in the previous week they had wanted to end their life increased from 8.2% to 9.2% and then to 9.8% over the three waves of the study. These rates were highest in young adults, age 18 to 29, rising from 12.5% to 14.4%. Now, these are not small increases, and the problem goes beyond suicidal thoughts. NPR, again a surprise, published a report this weekend on the mental health crisis among children specifically brought on by the pandemic, or that's how they put it. Really, it's brought on by the government and the media's response to the pandemic. That's my own editorializing, not what NPR concluded. The article talks about the increasing rates of depression, uh, of anxiety among children, also loneliness, feelings of isolation, This is to say nothing of the way that children's educational development has been stunted. Though, as I've I've said many times, I think public school often does more harm than good. Children are certainly not better off just sitting at home on their computers all day. But that's what's happened. As our whole society gave up on educating children um, because we're scared that the kids might get us sick. Again, not, not because we're scared that they get sick, because we're scared they might get us sick. And so we said, never mind with education. Never mind about that. We don't need that for a whole year. The powers that be, by the way, are finally noticing that they have destroyed our children and are now pretending that that wasn't their idea or their doing. Here's Dr. Fauci just a couple of days ago with a surprisingly new take on school closings. Listen.
1: Dr. Fauci, New York City public schools shut down again earlier this month. I know your default position is that you'd like to see the schools open, but how do you make that happen, and how would you advise the incoming Biden administration on getting a sort of unified response?
0: Well, you know, Martha, that's a good question. We get asked it all the time. You know, we say it not being facetiously as a soundbite or anything, but, you know, Close the bars and keep the schools open is what we really say. Obviously, you don't have one size fits all. But as I said in the past, and as you accurately quoted me, the default position should be to try as best as possible within reason to keep the children in school or to get them back to school. Yeah, he makes it sound like he's always said that you should keep the bars closed and open the schools. He said that that, this is what we say. That is not what he's always said. That's not what he said at all, in fact, until just now. But even Fauci, slow learner that he is, is starting to understand that keeping children locked in their homes for months on end in response to an illness that for them is no more dangerous than the flu is madness. Not just madness, it's evil. It's an evil thing to do to kids. Only don't expect Fauci to take any accountability or responsibility or to admit his mistake. Instead, he'll pretend he didn't say what he said in the past and has always said what he never really said. And it's not just children being decimated. Continuing the surprises of news media outlets actually reporting news. There was a whole flurry over the last few days of, of news media outlets actually reporting news. It's pretty incredible. NBC has on their website a short documentary about how the lockdown measures are impacting the elderly. Uh, speaking of being isolated, nobody has it worse than the elderly in nursing homes. They've been forced to spend you know, what could be and often is their final months on Earth locked in a building, speaking to their families through windows or not at all and dying alone with no one there who loves them. So here's a little bit of that documentary, listen.
1: I understand that the current policies are in place because they want to do everything right now to protect our seniors and our veterans and loved ones of families in nursing homes. But our elders are now dying from failure to thrive. They're giving up. They've been alone for seven months. Families need each other. I was devastated when they told us we couldn't come in or see him and my father didn't understand it when we explained it to him over the phone. He didn't understand what the virus meant. This is my father at 17 when he entered the service. He lied about his age so that he could get into the army and this is my dad in Korea in the middle of the jungle during the war. So we did Zoom calls and then we graduated to window visits and seeing your parent through a window like an animal in the zoo. Hi, Daddy. Trying to hear him, trying to see him through the screen, trying to advocate for him was heartbreaking.
0: You know, it's, it is heartbreaking. It's tragic. It's infuriating. The elderly isolated, dying alone, children locked in their homes, replacing education with computers, suicides, depression, business owners losing everything. And however bad we think all of this is, it's worse. Remember that. We won't know the full effect for many years. We can't know. I mean, what are the long-term effects of locking kids in their home, making them think strangers are diseased zombies, punting their education down the road like it doesn't matter? In what way will this generation of children be shaped by this? To what extent? What will that shape be? Nobody knows. No society has ever done anything like this. And how many suicides will ultimately happen as a result of the lockdowns? Even after we get the 2020 data, that's not going to tell the whole story. A business owner you know, who loses everything overnight may not take his own life the next morning. Could happen a year later. Could happen two years later. Could happen 10 years later. Many thousands of people have been put on a path of despair and ruin this year. But the end of that path, whatever it is and wherever it is, may not come for several years yet. So we know it's bad, but we don't know the full extent of how bad it is. For that matter, what are the psychological effects of people living their lives without ever seeing a stranger's face in public? How does that influence our mental health? Does anyone know? No, because again, nobody has ever done this before. And that's why the flippancy of those who advocate and push the lockdowns really enrages me the most. They have not attempted to seriously weigh the pros and cons. They have not bothered to so much as wonder about the long-term or short-term negative effects. We're doing something no society has ever done, embracing consequences that no society has ever willingly embraced. And we're supposed to do this without even discussing it? Without any sense of caution or apprehension? Except the lockdowns or you're a science denier. That's it. That's meant to be the end of the debate. Most of all, we're supposed to simply accept the proposition that not only will the lockdowns make people safe and extend people's lives, but that making people safe and extending their lives is the most important consideration, and all other considerations should be subordinated to it. We're supposed to believe, unquestioningly, that lockdowns will keep the most people alive, that there is nothing that could ever be more urgent than keeping the most people alive. Anything that must be sacrificed, literally anything, to this end is worth it. That's what we're supposed to believe. Those are the two propositions that you must believe. You're required to believe. Yet both are highly dubious, to say the least. It seems there is a considerable likelihood that when all is said and done, looking back on this 10 years from now or 20 years from now, we'll be able to say with certainty that many more people died because of the lockdowns than would have died without them. But whether that's the case or not, the second proposition, that physical safety is the highest good, is certainly incorrect, not just dubious, it's wrong. Our country is founded on the proposition that some things are more important than safety. Any happy and well-adjusted life is grounded in the same belief. For an elderly person with, you know, at best, let's say two or three years left to live, what is better? To live, those two or, to live those two or three years and be alone and miserable the whole time, or to risk living less than two or three, but to be happy and to be with those you love. For a child, what's better, to live in isolation, to avoid the minimal risk of a disease that rarely has any serious complications for children, or to live a normal child's life and to get an education and to be with friends and to be outside playing and doing what kids do while accepting the mild risks involved. The lockdown advocates and our overlords in government have decided that these questions are easily answered and that the answer is to prioritize safety above all, in all circumstances. Even if by prioritizing safety, you ultimately make people less safe and depressed and suicidal on top of it. They say it's anti-science to question it, but it's not. It is anti-human to do what they are doing. And it's time for us to stop going along with it. Now let's get to our five headlines. I think this year, as this year comes mercifully to a close, we've all learned, if we didn't already know, that, uh, that you never really know what's going to happen in the future, and you just have to be prepared and protect yourself, and that's why you need to think about policy genius. This holiday season, you know, the holiday season in general knows how to lighten your wallet. For many families, December is one of the most expensive months of the year not to mention the busiest, and uh, especially this year. I think there are a lot of families who don't have that extra capital that they normally would have, so you're looking for savings wherever you can find it. If you need life insurance but don't want to deal with the hassle or expense, try Policy Genius. Policy Genius combines a cutting-edge insurance marketplace with help from licensed experts to save you time and money. So right now you could save 50% or more by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance. When you're shopping for a policy that could last for more than a decade or even much longer than that, those savings really start to add up over time Um, and here's basically how it works. It's very easy. First, you head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need. You can compare quotes from top insurers to decide what works for you, what works for your family. Policygenius will compare policies starting at as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical. You don't know, you just got to go to Policygenius and find out. Once you apply, the Policygenius will handle all the paperwork, all the red tape. They sort of take it from there. So it's very easy for you. And if you wanna know other people's experience, don't take it from me. This kind of service has earned Policy Genius a five-star rating across over 1,600 reviews on Trustpilot and Google. Okay, that's where you could really go to find out people's experience. That's where they're being honest about it. And, uh, And that's it. People love Policy Genius. I love Policy Genius. If you have loved ones who depend on your income, don't go into 2021 without life insurance. Go to policygenius.com and get started now. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and you could start the new year with one less thing to worry about. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. All right, um, hope you all had a great Thanksgiving, by the way. Mine, um, uh, my Thanksgiving began with my daughter vomiting as soon as we got to my sister-in-law's house. She didn't have a virus or anything. She wasn't sick, but uh, she gets bad car sickness like I do. And only we didn't realize how bad it was this time around. So as soon as we got there after a four-hour car ride, she was in the bathroom. Fortunately, she made it to the toilet. Unfortunately, she forgot to lift the lid. So um, that was one of those conversations as a parent that you have to have sometimes you don't want to have. But the one where I have to go down to my sister-in-law and say, um, hey, you know, I know we just got to your house, but I I need paper towels and bleach. Don't ask any questions. Always an enjoyable time. And I know you're really hoping to hear details like this about my daughter vomiting. There you go. Um, other than that, you know, it was a good time other than that. And other than the next day on Thanksgiving, when one of the little kids in the house took my car keys, apparently, and threw them in the trash. Very helpful. And it took, I was looking for them all day. Found them the next day in the garbage. I was r- rifling through the garbage right before it went to the uh, curb to be picked up. So that's what you get when you're kids. You spend uh, you spend Thanksgiving cleaning up vomit and rifling through trash bags. I know everybody listening to this, if you don't have kids, you're thinking, I want kids now. It is, it is worth it in the end, I'm told. All right, number one, um, the Daily Beast ran some hard-hitting journalism recently reporting on a pet psychics' communications with Joe Biden's dogs. Now, incidentally, the existence of pet psychics' presents for me maybe the greatest temptation to be a socialist this is the only time i've ever felt a little bit tempted because i mean maybe people do have too much money if they're spending it on sessions with a with a pet psychic i think maybe the rich people do need to be stopped i don't know i think maybe because of this but uh, this pet psychic had a communication breakdown it seems because she had a uh, she says this, this is a, again the daily beast is reporting this just you know just this, just reporting it why not and um there seems to have been a breakdown because she had a mind-to-mind exchange with Biden's pets that didn't include some vital information. So she says, quote, the very first thing I got was that they were both very excited about moving to the White House. I had a real connection. I felt that excitement of theirs. They showed me that Joe Biden is very bonded to his dogs and have a real connection with them. They kept showing me that although he has rescued one of the dogs, the dogs feel in many ways that they have rescued him egomaniacs. That's the kind of narcissism I would expect from a cat. This is why I hate dogs, extremely full of themselves, but also desperate and needy at the same time, the worst combination. But the point is that she never mentions that the dogs were actually plotting to destroy Joe Biden the whole time. Not a day or two after this story was published, Joe Biden was in the hospital with a fracture to his foot after injuring himself while playing with his dogs. So how did the psychic not see that coming? Why didn't she stop it? Um, now Joe Biden's going to be a walking boot for a while now. Could have been warned about this, but we weren't. Uh, this is what the Daily Wire report says. Joe Biden reportedly hurt himself over the weekend while playing with one of his dogs and was sent to a medical specialist for evaluation. Um, uh, Biden's office said in a statement, quote, on, September, uh, on S- Saturday, November 28th, President-elect Biden slipped while playing with his dog Major and twisted his ankle. Out of an abundance of caution, he'll be examined this afternoon by an orthopedist. And uh, so, yeah, they're talking about a fracture, I guess, is what he got. OK, you know, I mean, it happens. I, I guess I can't judge him. I was in a walking boot myself for 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 months last year because of an Achilles injury. But it does it, you know, it does bring to mind. I mean, we're he, he's he's not even in the White House. He, he's not even technically the president elect yet, despite what the media says. He's certainly not in the White House yet. And he's already, um, you know, having the kinds of injuries that vel- very elderly people have. When you get old, you become fragile, even more fragile than, than, uh, than you know than you were before. And this is what we have to worry about now, with uh, with a fragile old man in the White House who's also you know losing his mind and, and, and his physical abilities on top of it. So we'll see how that goes. Number two, Ilhan Omar has a practical suggestion for navigating ourselves out of the current economic crisis. She says, uh, "quote We must put an end to this economic crisis with." then she has bullet points, direct monthly payments to every family, number one, number two, expanded unemployment benefits, number three, rent and mortgage cancellation, number four, student debt cancellation, number five, Medicare for all, including a free COVID-19 treatment and vaccines. You know, I love this idea. Personally, I would go a step further. Um, I say every American should receive $5,000 in gold coins. delivered directly to their door every day, along with a basket of fruit, a bouquet of flowers, a new pair of slippers. I mean, why not? If we are completely disregarding questions of affordability, feasibility, possibility, then why acknowledge any limits at all? Of course, the real way to end the economic crisis, and there is an economic crisis, so she's right about that part at least. I agree with her there. The real way to end it is to let people go back to work and open their businesses at full capacity um, and allow people to go about their lives. It's an interesting thing, you know, you end up with an economic crisis when you tell everybody they can't work. And when you tell businesses that they have to turn away customers, hundreds, thousands of customers. So that's what you do. Here's the solution for the government, as is very often the case. Stop doing what you're doing now which is ruining everything. Get out of the way. But of course, that's not the solution that Ilhan Omar is interested in. That's not the solution that Democrats are interested in because they see this as an opportunity uh, to exploit. They see this as an opportunity for a massive transfer of power from individuals uh, to to the government. Just like we've seen a massive transfer of wealth from small businesses and middle class people to mega corporations. Amazon, Walmart, Target are doing very well. Facebook, you know the big tech companies, so we see this massive transfer of of wealth. Also, there's going to be a transfer of power, and that's the idea. That's why this is happening. That's why they have the lockdowns. That's the whole idea. And they're fine. As long as they get the power and control over our lives, sure, they'll toss you a few bucks. That's just more power and control over you. Number three, you probably have seen some of the headlines about COVID ravaging the NFL uh, with a huge outbreak infecting many players. The Baltimore Ravens, my, my Baltimore Ravens, unfortunately, have been especially hard hit. Uh, they've got like, I don't know, 20 players now out with COVID or because they were in contact with someone who had COVID. Uh, their Thanksgiving game against the Steelers was postponed mer- mercifully to tomorrow. That game looks like it's going to happen, though the Ravens can hardly field a, a roster. Um, they've got half of their starters out. Lamar Jackson is out. Meanwhile, the Denver Broncos had to play yesterday with without a quarterback. All of their quarterbacks either had covid or were in contact with someone with covid. And so they were they they started a practice squad receiver as their quarterback. Of course they lost by a lot of points against the Saints, no surprise there. But the funny thing is in all of these stories, you know, of a of a league ravaged by sickness, nobody ever tells us how sick these players actually are. Have you noticed that? I mean, isn't that the first question you ask yourself when you read a story about This or that star NFL player, Lamar Jackson, diagnosed with COVID. Your your question is, how sick is he? I mean, is he in the hospital or is he just at home with the sniffles? Or does he not even have the sniffles? Is he just, is he perfectly fine? They don't tell you that. There's a reason for that. That's a detail they don't include. I have heard specifically about one, I think there was, from what I've read, what the media has reported, there's been, I believe, one player with serious complications from COVID. Um, But there have been a lot more than one who have been diagnosed with it. But that's the interesting thing. That's the only player who the media has gone into detail telling us about their symptoms because they were bad symptoms. All the rest of these players, they don't tell us. And uh, again, the reason for that is is quite obvious because in reality, most of these players probably, they don't even have a case of the sniffles. They're just at home, you know, playing Madden or something, and waiting for when the league tells them they can come back. Not sick at all. Many of these players. Number four: a protest in Utah over the weekend uh, over the recently passed statewide mask mandate. So Utah was one of the one of the more recent states to join the uh, the mask mandate bandwagon. There was a couple of protests. Unfortunately, not very large protests. They should be larger than they are. I mentioned this story mainly as an excuse to tell you about my own mask-related run-in. Um, that, uh, that I had over the weekend. We went, um, we were, at, like I said, it was at my sister-in-law's for, for Thanksgiving. We went to an outdoor Christmas lights display um, at, at night. I think it was Saturday night. Again, it's outdoors, Christmas lights display. We're, we're outside. A lot of, lot of nice air circulation when you're outside. And uh, most people walking around with masks, people I wasn't wearing, really wearing a mask. Here, here's, well, let me tell you, what. here's my mask policy. This is my personal policy that I've adopted. Uh, I have the neck gaiter thing, which doesn't do anything, but probably the the cloth masks don't do anything either, but I have it. And if I'm going inside somewhere, like inside a business, I will put it on if they ask me. I'm not going to cause a scene, especially because it's some poor kid, some minimum wage kid at Walmart or something has to come up and say, sir, will you put the mask on? I'm not going to make his job harder than it has to be, but I'm also not going to volunteer to wear it. So I'm going to walk in without the mask if someone tells me to wear it. I'll put it on. Fine. Outside, I will not wear it. I refuse. I don't care what the what the mandate is. I don't care who says it. I'm not going to wear a mask outside because that is absurd. So we're walking around outside. Um, I'm not wearing the mask. Most people in my group aren't wearing one. And this woman, you know, uh, gets snippy with us and 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 says uh, and you know confronts us and says, "Well, I think I think masks are mandatory. You're supposed to wear them." Now the thing is, she's holding in her hand. She's got a mask on she's holding in her hand, as am I, a cup of hot uh, spiked cider, which was, which was very good with whiskey in it. And so I asked her, I said, are, are you drinking with the mask on? And that was kind of enough to make her back away because, of course, she's not. So she's walking around. She'll pull the mask d- down, take some sips, put it back up. It's absurd. It's a charade. Uh, the whole thing is an absolute charade, especially outside. What are the chances, okay, this is is the question I've been asking all along, haven't gotten an answer to it. What are the chances if you're outside and you just walk by someone more than six feet, even if you're within six feet, let's say you walk by someone and God forbid you pass them uh, as close as three feet and you're, you're within three feet of them for about a second. What are the chances that you could pass COVID to them? What is it? I mean, th- you take the average person just walking down the street without a mask. Yeah, we don't know if he has COVID or not. Just, you know, take any average person off the street, walking down the street. What are the chances that that person, percentage-wise, will pass COVID to you as you pass him? It's, I mean, what is what is it? It's, it's, it's certainly not 1%. It's much smaller than that. Very, 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 very small percentage chance. Uh, but, of course, we know wearing the mask is mostly as I said, a, a charade, something that's done you know just for display like with this woman. who was pu- pulling the mask down frequently to drink but still felt that she was uh, because she had it, she had it on at least she was playing the game so that entitled her to lecture other people. Uh, five, finally, you could be the judge here. Tell me what you think. Story from the hill. It says a man in Arkansas received a racist note after putting up an inflatable black Santa in front of his house. Chris Kennedy, who lives in North Little Rock, received an anonymous racist letter condemning the decoration. Uh, Kennedy read the letter during a live stream on Facebook. I looked for, the, for this live stream so I could play it for you. I couldn't find it. It looks like it's been taken down, Which, if it, it, unless I just couldn't find it. But if it has been taken down, maybe that'll tell you something. Here's the, uh, here's the note as he read it. Please remove your Negro Santa Claus yard decoration. You should not try to deceive children into believing that I am a Negro. I am a Caucasian white man to you and have been for the past 600 years. Your being jealous of my race is no excuse for your dishonesty. Uh, The note continues, besides that, you're making yourself the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Uh, During the live stream, Kennedy said that he was trying to be as nice as he can be, but he was filled with rage over the note. Um, Kennedy also showed an image of a white Santa with two thumbs up and a label taped to the envelope that the letter came in. And then the um, the property owners association condemned it. And it says that um, other neighbors have come out and they're buying their own black Santa inflatables to put in their yard. And they're all rallying behind this guy. OK. It's just all I can say is it's good to see Jesse Smollett getting into the Christmas spirit uh, in his own way. So I won't judge him for that. And maybe that's not fair. Look, I I don't know that this is a hoax. I I can't say that. It's possible that an actual racist person got mad about an inflatable Santa and wrote this note where he pretends to be Santa. The the note is written as if Santa Claus himself has written it. Um, And then, I mean, it's possible, right? It's, you know, technically it's possible that Santa Claus actually did write it. It's possible that, look, Santa Claus... You know, he's, um, he's an old-fashioned guy. He's been around for centuries. So his, his racial views are probably not as enlightened as, as people these days. So it's, it's possible that an actual that Santa himself wrote it. Um, and then there's a cartoon. You know, it's possible that a racist person, be it Santa or not, was mad about an inflatable Santa and wrote the note and actually took the time to draw a nice cartoon of Santa with thumbs down and put that on the note. All of that is possible. Okay, It's not impossible. But history and common sense would tell us that it's quite a bit more possible that this is yet again a made-up fake racist note from somebody begging for attention. Um, all I'll say is this, is that every anonymous racist note story in recent memory, I mean, let me know if you can think of one. Because every one that, that comes to mind, all fake. Literally, all of them fake. When was the last time there was an anonymous racist note left for someone on their porch or on their car or whatever, written on a receipt at a restaurant that wasn't fake? So, is this the exception? Could be. Probably isn't. Yet, it doesn't matter because if you look at the headlines of this, um, just like the headline I just read to you, um, almost all the headlines just report as fact. Man receives racist note. Not even man says he received racist note, or man allegedly receives racist. It's just he received it. They report it as fact, and then you know when, if and when the time comes, two or three days from now, when the police come out, sort of quietly but announce that yeah, you know, this didn't really happen. um, Then the media—they're not going to print a correction or anything like that. They're just going to uh, move on as if it never happened. That, of course, is the way. It always goes. Before we get to our daily cancellation, if you missed out on our amazing Black Friday deal, um, uh, let's—I don't first of all—I don't know what you were doing with your time or your life. You had all of Friday, you fool. But here's the good thing: Uh, today only, and it doesn't—it doesn't tell me in the copy to call you a fool. Just to be clear, I did that on my own. You could join us at uh, daily as a Daily Wire member for fifty percent off with code DW50. Over at dailywire.com slash subscribe. That is today only. Don't miss another opportunity. Since last year's deal, we've added so many more features and products to our membership program. We've added more exclusive readers past content. Our insider and above members can now stream content on Apple TV or Roku. Uh, we've got, you know, you've got five hours uh, or rather five, five hours would be a lot, five days of the Ben Shapiro show, um, three hours a day. And also, uh, Michael Knowles' show is going uh, five days a week, starting on December 4th. And if you're an All Access member, you can also take part in our All Access Live, which is something we didn't have last year, and that's when our hosts uh, interact with you, the listener uh, and the viewer. Um, we just have a sort of casual conversation. It's a lot of fun. So you get all of that and much more. We may not be able to offer this deal again next year because of all the stuff we're adding to it. It might just not make, make sense for us to do it. So be sure to become a member today using coupon code DW50 over at dailywiredcom slash subscribe. All right, let's get to our daily cancellation. Today for our daily cancellation, we're gonna cancel Vanderbilt University. Along with everyone in media who is celebrating Vanderbilt University this weekend after its winless football team, quote, made history by dressing and fielding a female player. Sarah Fuller, a goalkeeper, or is a goaltender. I'm not sure. I typically prefer sports over soccer. In any case, a female soccer player was enlisted as the Vanderbilt football team's kicker for its game on Saturday against Missouri. All of Vanderbilt's kickers were sent to the COVID quarantine, and the team decided to bring Sarah in to substitute, and more importantly, to generate some headlines and attention, because they certainly weren't going to generate any headlines and attention just by playing solid football and winning games. So they had to resort to this. Sarah thus became the first woman to ever take the field for a major college football program, and after the game, the media went hysterical with its adulation for Sarah Fuller and her glass ceiling breaking performance, a performance that included five for five on field goals, three of them over 40 yards, three touchbacks, one game-saving tackle. Just kidding, of course. She, she kicked once, the kick went 30 yards, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt lost 41-0, to and the coach was fired after the game. That's, that's what happens in reality. Now, I wasn't kidding, though, about the hysterical adulation part, though. Um, that did happen, including from the announcers in the game who had the unenviable task of having to not laugh at the terrible kick and instead pretend that it was some kind of great moment for college football. Listen.
1: And the kick down at the 35 yard line, and Sarah Fuller. Happy Thanksgiving. What a day. What a day in college football.
0: What a day. What a day with that 30-yard kick. Now, I should note that the coach claimed after the game, right before he was fired, that the kick there was a designed squib kick. And he should be fired if that really was designed. Anyone who knows football knows you don't squib it intentionally at the start of the second half when you're down 21. And even if you do squib it intentionally, you don't want the ball to only go 20 yards in the air and then roll another 10. There is no designed kick in all of football that works like that. If this is a design kick, it's a new design. It's a bad design. Not a squib kick. Maybe we can call it a chick kick. Or we could have called it that and laughed before our whole society turned into a bunch of insufferable PC scolds who had pretended it's not incredibly hilarious, that everybody hyped up the female football player, and then she went out and did the worst kick anyone's seen all year. I mean, that is funny, Right. Anyway, ESPN, of course, um, interviewed Sarah Fuller about this historic moment after the game. And here's what she had to say. Well,
1: Sarah, you made history today. The first female to ever play in a Power Five football game. What emotions are you feeling now that you've reached such a milestone? Honestly, it's just so exciting. And the fact that I can represent like the little girls out there who have wanted to do this or, you know, thought about playing football or any sport, really, and it encourages them to be able to step out and do something big like this, so it's awesome. We were all patiently awaiting the entire first half, hoping we'd get to see you take the field, but you come out after halftime, you take the field for the kickoff. What was your mentality in that moment? Honestly, I was just really calm. Uh, The SEC championship was more stressful, if I'm gonna be honest. Um, But I I was really excited to step out on the field and do my thing, so. Throughout this week, as the story has gained prominence and taken to the headlines, I know you felt a sense of responsibility to use this platform for something bigger than yourself. What message do you hope was conveyed by your involvement today? I mean, I just want to tell like all the girls out there that you can do anything you set your mind to. Like, you really can.
0: Yes, do anything except kick a football more than 30 yards, apparently. It's just a good thing that the glass ceiling was closer than 30 yards away. Otherwise, she never would have broken it. I am being a little harsh, admittedly. I don't mean to be hard on Sarah. Uh, That's why I'm not canceling her. I'm canceling everyone else associated with this and everyone who pretended that a bad kick by a losing team was somehow inspirational and history-making because the person who made the kick had XX chromosomes. Though I must say that Sarah almost got herself canceled as well when I uh, read an ESPN article about the game. Here's a tidbit from this ESPN article. It says, quote, With Vanderbilt trailing 21-0 at halftime, Fuller decided that she wanted to address the team. Oh, no. If I'm going to be honest, she said, quote, I was a little pissed off at how quiet everybody was on the sideline. We made a first down, and I was the only one cheering. And I was like, what the heck? What's going on? And I tried to get them pumped up. She said she compared it to Vanderbilt Soccer's SEC tournament-winning run when the team was, quote, cheering the entire time. I just went in there, and I said exactly what I was thinking. I was like... We need to be cheering each other on. This is how you win games. This is how you get better is by calling each other out for stuff. And I'm going to call you guys out. We need to be supporting one another. We need to be lifting each other up. That's what a team's about, Fuller said. I think this team has struggled, and that's been part of it. We really just need to build the team camaraderie where they can all lean on one another. It was an adjustment going from that team mentality where, hey, we're all here supporting one another, and I just wanted to bring that to this team. Okay, on second thought, as I read this, yes, she is canceled too. Extremely canceled, in fact. She is very, very canceled. You're a girl invited to kick the ball one time as a publicity stunt, and you shank it, and yet you think you're entitled to give a pep talk to the team and lecture them about how, how, how to be better football players? My lord. That's like when I, when I let my five-year-old daughter sit on my lap and park the car, you know, quote-unquote, by driving it 10 feet up the driveway. And the next time she was in the car with me, she started shouting driving tips from her booster seat in the back. Daddy, make sure to stop when the light is red. Yes, I know, Julia. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the tip. But see, at least that was kind of cute. I have to imagine these guys were not as amused when the girl from the women's soccer team was strutting down the sideline, barking orders at them. Although given their record and their you know general abilities on the field, I can't say they didn't deserve the humiliation. In fact, Vanderbilt sent out a tweet after the bad kick with a picture of Sarah Sarah Fuller and the words, quote, history made. And the tweet reads, Sarah Fuller, remember the name. Hashtag play like a girl. Yes, this is a football team adopting play like a girl as a positive motto. And credit where it's due. They put their money where their mouth is. They walked the walk. They really did play like girls and lost by 41 points because of it. See, that's what what happens. When you're a football team and you play like girls or let girls play, you lose. The reason you lose is that girls can't play football against men. I don't mean can't as in they aren't allowed. They shouldn't be allowed, but they are allowed. I mean can't as in physically can't. Contra Sarah Fuller's post-game interview, girls cannot do whatever they set their minds to. They can't. Hate to tell you, neither can men. There are some things you set your mind to that you can't actually do because you're not physically capable. I could set my mind, and have set it, on being the greatest ballerina on planet Earth, and it probably still will never happen, unfortunately. The results ultimately will be almost as hilarious as a woman playing football. Speaking of which, there will never, ever, 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 ever be a female who actually earns her way onto a major, major college football program, even as a kicker, or even a high school program, much less a professional program. Not because football teams are sexist or because women are inferior as human beings or anything like that. It's just because reality is what it is. A woman on a men's football team will at best embarrass herself, at worst get herself killed. It's it's good for Sarah Fuller that she didn't kick the ball 50 or 60 yards and give the team a chance to return it. If she had, and she was the last line of defense trying to make a tackle on a real football player with a head of steam sprinting down the sideline, she'd be in the hospital right now, or the morgue. As far as I know, no player for a major college football program has ever been killed by a collision on the football field, and that is one glass ceiling a female player could break. It's just not one that should be broken. But aside from the safety concerns, the real issue with putting a girl on the field and celebrating her for her terrible play is that along with how Generally ridiculous it is. It's also patronizing and degrading. Are women really so unimpressive and bereft of achievement that we have to pretend it's an achievement to be given an opportunity you didn't earn and then botch it? You know, it'd be one thing if she went in there and did hit a fifty-two year old fifty-two yard field goal for the win, or even if she managed a couple of touchbacks. But what she did, literally anyone could do. You, I don't care who you are, you could kick a football 20 yards in the air if you put it on a tee. You could do that. I could. I think my seven-year-old son probably could. Are women so pathetic that we have to call this an achievement? Not just an achievement, but a historic achievement. One that will cause us to remember her name for all of history. A thousand years from now, they'll be singing songs and telling stories about Sarah Fuller kicking the ball 20 yards. Monuments will be built. Is that how sad and unimpressive women are? That we have to stoop to this? Answer, no. That's how sad and unimpressive feminists think women are. Because they themselves, feminists, are sad and unimpressive. It's how sad and unimpressive the media thinks women are, apparently. But it's not what I think. And it's not the truth. My wife, for example, um, can't play football. But she does 50 things in a day that are far more important and impressive than that crappy kick by Sarah Fuller. I mean, she'll do stuff like take four young kids by herself to a museum. She's done that multiple times. She takes all the kids. I'm working. She'll go to the museum in the city. I would never do that. I wouldn't even attempt it. It's a suicide mission. My wife does it and has fun somehow. Yet we don't celebrate women for doing those sorts of things anymore. We celebrate them for for trying to imitate men even though their imitations always suck and are humiliating to all involved. We've decided that the best sort of woman is a man. And not coincidentally, we've also decided that the best sort of man is a woman. So women are celebrated for dressing up in football uniforms and men are celebrated for dressing up in dresses. And the only people who aren't celebrated are those who act like themselves and carry on living as sane and competent people. So that's why Vanderbilt is canceled. And everybody who pretended to be impressed by the most unimpressive kick in football history is also canceled. And Sarah Fuller, again, unfortunately, has to be canceled. And that's gonna do it for us today. Thanks for watching, everybody. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you wanna help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, and The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical producer is Austin Stevens, edited by Danny D'Amico, and our audio is mixed by Robin Fenderson. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey, everyone, it's Andrew Klavan, host of The Andrew Klavan Show. Today, we're going to cover the strange case of Joe Biden's cat. That's the story the media is covering. And it's a furry little sign that we're in a crisis of disinformation where it's impossible to know what to believe. But we'll try to find out on The Andrew Klavan Show.